Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Hey, y'all. Uh, welcome. It's South Dakota your host, and welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm joined by our president, Ed Espinosa, Advocacy Director, Diana Gomez, and Communications Director, Wesley Story. This week, we're going to be covering three really important topics. One, how Republicans are trying to maintain power in the upcoming redistricting process. Two, how progressives can talk about Republican attacks on trans kids. And three, what is going on at the border? Uh, before we start, this is a happy hour. So quick question, what is everyone drinking today? Uh, I'll go first. I've got this really delicious bubbly sparkling water. It is lime bubbly flavored and they're not yet a sponsor, but they might be after the show. Uh, Dana, what are you drinking? I'm drinking white wine from a box. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Wesley? You know, I'm jealous of Diana because I really wish I had wine. That's what I would have preferred to drink, but I don't have any right now, so I'm sticking to Trulies, which is what I was drinking last week, too. That's truly a fine drink, if you ask me. Uh, uh, and Ed, what are you drinking? I actually have an alcoholic beverage this week. I have Whoa. an Austin Beer Works Pearl Snap. Let me do something particularly nice for you. I'll put this right next to the mic and see if you can hear this. Oh. Uh, little little ASMR just, for you there. Yeah, I was about to say, I think we became an ASMR podcast. And I'm going to put it in my Progress Texas koozie, mm. which you can get at the Progress Texas store. Just go to the footer in our website and click store. Yeah, or web it's store that or, simple. Yeah. All right, well, it's good that we're all imbibing some kind of beverage. Dehydration can be a problem in a state like Texas. Um, <laughs> but you know what else can be a problem is... Uh, the way that we gerrymander the state. Not us, but Republicans. Um, Ed, what is going on with redistricting? Sockfit continuing with the smooth transitions <laughs> once again. So redistricting, as we all know, is the um, once every 10 years, the decade redraw that we do of our district lines based on population growth and population movement. Texas, one of the fastest growing states in America, has been awarded two new congressional seats. And in addition to redrawing the districts for congressional seats, they also have to redraw the lines for state Senate, for state House, for state Board of Education as well. Now, no surprise to anybody who's been following Texas politics, we are one of the most gerrymandered states in America, probably one of the most gerrymandered states in the history of gerrymandering. And uh, you can look around the state and see some of the most gerrymandered districts one of the ones that I like to talk about is the 2nd Congressional District down in Houston, which is a thin strip, crescent moon-shaped strip around Harris County with a big chunk next to it. It looks very much like a ball and chain. Uh, with the representation we have there, it feels very much like a ball and chain, too. Anyway, uh, the big news is we saw the first round of maps this week. It started with maps that came from the state Senate. We are still awaiting congressional district maps. Here's what we know so far. The state Senate maps are gerrymandered in a way, no surprise, that Republicans would go from an 18-seat majority to a 20-seat majority. So right now there's 31 seats in the state Senate. It would go from 18 majority and 13 minority to 20 majority and 11 minority. Now, look, if you're in the majority, to, to the victor go the spoils, right? They do have the right to draw the lines, but they don't have the right to draw the lines any way they want. There are legal standards they have to abide by in order to make sure there's fair representation. And I'll give you this. 
<clears throat> the state is roughly evenly divided between white populations and Latino populations. But when you look at the drawings of these districts, they overwhelmingly favor white voters and disproportionately stifle people of color. And that is what is really happening when you see the shift in Senate seats go from 18 to 20 and 13 to 11. So that's what we're seeing in the first round of Senate maps. You can uh, assume that the congressional maps won't look much different and that the state house maps might not be any better either. Here's the last thing I'll say, and then I want to open it up to some questions here because I can see that Wesley's got some, some gears turning in his head already. Um, the... Um, we argue about partisan gerrymandering. You know, the courts have said you can draw lines based on political interests. What the courts will not allow are drawing lines that favor certain racial groups over others. And that is why the court, federal courts over the past 10 years have said nine times that Texas has intentionally discriminated when it comes to redistricting. This is all based on the last redistricting process. So they're desperately trying to avoid that this time around. And uh, we're desperately trying to hold them accountable to keep them from doing it this time around. Now, I, I do have a question before um, I, I ask that. Um, and it's it's about the what you'd mentioned, Ed, is uh, in the people of color representation um, in Texas. I will say that if folks want to get involved um, in the, the redistricting uh, debacle here in Texas and the gerrymanderedness of it all. Uh, they can still testify in person this Friday and this Saturday at the Capitol. Um, if folks aren't able to come in person or have hesitations, you can always submit comments online. There is a really great organization called All on the Line, and they will be holding um, trainings uh, tonight, and they have resources on their website as to where to go, what to do, how to comment online. But Ed, you mentioned how these lines are redrawn. Um, are there certain numbers that depend on them redrawing the lines? Is there something that comes out that they, they, they're waiting for to, to do this redistricting process? I mean, I think you're, you're referring to the census numbers that come out. So when they do the census every 10 years, they determine how many people live in a district by the, the population numbers. So, for instance, if you have uh, 100, let's say you had um, 30 million people in Texas and you have 150 congre uh, state legislative districts, then each district should be roughly the same in population size. So that would be uh, whatever 150 goes into 30 million by and you come out with that average. Now, for congressional districts, a little different. They take the national population and then they divide it by that. And if your state has grown in population, disproportionately to other states, then you actually see a shift in seats. So while legislative seats don't change, the number of congressional seats do change. So this is why you see California losing one seat. It's not that people are leaving California. It's that it didn't grow as fast as Texas did. Texas grew faster. Therefore, Texas was awarded two seats. California lost one seat. But census plays a big part in that. And I think the point that you were trying to get at originally, Diana, is that the growth was powered by communities of color. It was powered by black and brown populations, Asian populations, young people moving to the state. Basically, everybody in this, these four squares in this conversation right here represents 
many of the voters, not all of the types of voters, but many of the voters that are moving to this state. Um, and I think that that's an important element. And the one message, if there's one message you remember from all this, the new districts we're drawing need to look like the people that helped us get those districts. Bottom line, the new districts need to look like the new people that helped us get them. You know, I had an interesting experience when I filled out the census. As soon as I pressed submit, I got a pop-up that said, you did it. You got us that new congressional district. I'm like, now I want that for myself, you know? <laughs> Just kidding. You it didn't for. happen. It didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Funny thing about the census, too, you know, Ed, you mentioned that the numbers between the Latino um, residents in Texas and then the white residents in Texas are about equal. Not everyone fills out the census. So we know that those numbers are probably like Latinos have already, let's be honest, they're already the majority or the um, plurality here in Texas. And to give just a little bit of more details about the map, specifically the Senate map that's been released already, the Hispanic we already know that they're the plurality, but this proposed map includes 20 districts that are majority white and only seven that are majority Hispanic. So that just shows how badly they've gerrymandered the maps, when in reality, Hispanic residents should be about equal to white residents as far as the um, districts that have majority Hispanic residents in them. And Ed, I did have a quick question. I'm wondering if you have heard the phrase cracking and packing before? And if you happen to have an explanation of what exactly that means, because I've heard it thrown around a few times, and I think that people tend to get confused about what it actually means. So cracking and packing, two things you can't do when it comes to redistricting. And what cracking would be is a perfect example of cracking, actually, is if you are familiar with what the districts look like in Austin. Austin is the biggest metro area in America that does not have its own congressional seat. And the reason is, is that Austin has been cracked into five different districts. So where I live in Southwest Austin is a different district than where Wesley lives, than where Sopic lives, and then where Diana lives. And we're all in the same, I believe we're all in the same county still. Um, not only are am I in a different district, but I, I actually believe that all four of us are in four different districts. We'd probably have to look a little closer to that. I think we're in at least three, if not four. And that is cracking. Now, to do it along geographical lines is maybe a, a bit subjective, but to do it amongst communities, to dilute the strength of, say, the black community or the Asian community or the Latino community, that the, 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 um, the courts have said you cannot do that. Now, conversely, or in addition to, you, you, also, cannot, uh, you also cannot pack everybody in to try to basically eliminate their power as a community as well. So let's say you just, somebody were to draw a map and say, oh, well, there's, there's a bunch of Latino voters here on the east side. I'm just gonna draw them all to one district and call it a minority opportunity district. Well, if it's a minority opportunity district where you drew them in like 95% and suddenly diluted their strength outside of their district, then that's a problem too. So it's a fine line, right? Because like you could, map makers have to be very careful as to what is cracking and what is packing. And it's one of the reasons that redistricting is so important and how it can be abused if not done correctly. And I think packing is a perfect example of what's happening with these Senate maps. That's why the Hispanic residents have so many fewer districts than the white residents in our state. And I want to underline something. There was polling from last week that said 92% of Texans are not happy with the direction of the state. 
But the same people who have put us on that direction are the ones who are now being able to cut the state up to keep themselves in power. So there's a clear mismatch between what Texans want and what we're getting. And as we love to say over and over and over and over again in Progress Texas, progressive values are mainstream values, but they're just cracked and packed away so that we can't actually get what we want. Uh, and, you know, so we're on one hand, we're seeing this attack on progressive values and progressive voters are getting broken up. We're also seeing a much more targeted and insidious attack on trans kids. And Wesley, you've been working on this a lot. Uh, I'd love if you could give us a download on what's going on and how we can talk about it. Yeah. So this year, Texas has introduced the most bills targeting trans transgender youth in the country. Um, we're about three times more than any other state. And at this point, it may be even more than that with the third special session taking place. Thankfully, so far, none of these bills have passed. And that's been due to the hard work of activists and community members and just young LGBTQ Texans who have shown up at all of these sessions to testify against these bills and to delay their passage. They've been killed now for three sessions in a row and we're hoping for a fourth. Um, but like I said, these bills haven't passed, at least not yet. And the reason I say not yet is because once again, Governor Abbott has put these attacks on trans kids in the call for this fourth special session. This session is supposed to be focused on redistricting, which fourth so. session. No, yeah, you're yeah. right. Fourth session, third <laughs> special session. It gets a little bit confusing. Um <laughs> But like Ed said, he was talking about redistricting, you know, that's the focus, that's supposed to be the focus of this session. But unfortunately, that is not what Republicans are sticking to. They're doubling down on their efforts to discriminate against trans youth. And one of their main priority bills during this session is a bill attacking trans kids in sports. So they're trying to prevent trans kids specifically um, within UIL and in schools that are part of the UIL program, prevent them from being able to participate in sports, and they can only be on teams um, that are gendered based off of their birth certificate. So it wouldn't allow for them to be on teams based off of their gender identity. Wesley, um, one of the things that has come up a lot, I've looked at the polling and I show that Texans are divided on this issue, but one of them is people kind of default to the idea that uh, a boy shouldn't unfairly compete in a girl's sport based on the strengths of a boy. Uh, a girl would be disadvantaged to compete in a, a boys league. But we know that that's not entirely true. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about that to, to help inform people about this issue. But I realize this is a delicate subject. No, yeah, you're completely right. This is a sensitive subject and a lot of people really aren't qualified to address it, especially the conservative legislators who are creating this legislation that's attacking these kids. You know, they have no idea what they're talking about. And it's easy to fall into that misconception that they're pushing because that's what people are hearing from the lawmakers who are uninformed. So it is a misconception that transgender girls have a competitive advantage of sports. There's no evidence to support that claim. And in fact, the International Olympic Committee um, has allowed for trans women to compete since the early 2000s. Also, 25 states across the country have laws that allow transgender athletes to compete. Study after study has shown that there is no significant competitive advantage. And instead of doing what they claim to be doing. You know, these Republicans, one of their talking points that they're saying is, we're trying to protect girls in sports. We don't want them to be 
we don't want unfair competition. We want them to be able to be successful. These bills hurt trans kids, but they also hurt cisgender um, children as well because they promote these dangerous ideas of what it means to fit a certain gender role. They promote dangerous um, gender stereotypes. And so not only could trans kids be attacked if this legislation were uh, approved and passed, but young girls who may not fit those stereotypical ideas of what it means to be a girl, they could also have their gender identity called into question and they could potentially be approached and forced by the state or whoever's enforcing this law to prove their gender identity. So Republicans are hurting both trans kids and cisgender kids with this legislation. I was just going to ask, um, is this bill really about, and all of the bills, is it really about sports? Do these legislators just care so much about sports that they're prioritizing this over, I don't know, keeping the lights on when we're going from 103 degrees on Monday and 55 this morning in central Texas? Right. Is Are they really try out there to protect the sanctity of sports? <laughs> the sanctity of sports. <laughs> If you guys who are listening to the podcast couldn't see it, when Diana said sanctity, she like made the "What do you want?" Italian hand, and it, was like, it just like worked so perfectly. Um, short answer: No. Obviously, that's not what they're doing. I think, I think we all know that that's not what they're attempting to do. This is another attempt to control people's bodies, to be quite honest. And I mean, that's what we saw with the abortion ban. That's what we're seeing with this legislation. And it's just another opportunity to ostracize trans kids so that Republicans can get a few far-right votes in the primaries. At the end of the day, this is what that's about. They're trying to appeal to this far-right base that does not represent the majority of Texas. It's red meat it's a red meat issue it's a distraction from all the other issues that you just brought up like the COVID-19 pandemic and our energy grid and everything else that's going on in our state and you know really circling it back to what Satvik talked about before we started this conversation we know that this these kinds of attacks are unpopular but they're using gerrymandering as a way to not be held accountable for these attacks later down the road when we can actually force them out of office. And so it's all, um, you know, it's all a cycle of them being able to control our state and piss, push this terrible legislation, and then also not being able to be held accountable because Texans and the people who support trans youth are being silenced by our terrible maps, terrible voting laws that are being pushed. I wanna add one other point to this conversation um, that you hit on earlier about cisgendered and for those who don't aren't familiar with the term cisgendered, um, otherwise known as straight, right? Um, am I am I defining that correctly, yes. Wesley? Yeah, straight and so, also um, identifying with the gender you were born with, right? And straight appearing, right? Like yeah. so, um, I sent around a note to some folks saying that we had blasted out an email yesterday. Which, by the way, if you're not on the Progress Texas email list, please join us. We only send out good stuff. Yesterday, we sent out some talking points on transgender kids in sports and a little bit about how the Olympics have allowed transgender athletes, how 25 states have laws allowing kids to compete in sports. And one of the responses we got to this, uh, to one of the forwards I had sent was from somebody who said that they grew up as a little girl who had hand-me-down clothes from her big brother and who often did not have the most flattering haircuts. 
and therefore kind of had the appearance of a tomboy. And, you know, there are situations like that where suddenly someone's gender is called into question when it's completely out of, blue, out of the blue. But while they're saying that these laws are to target trans kids, which is ridiculous enough to begin with, but to take it a next step where suddenly it's, it's giving license to unqualified officials to challenge somebody's gender because they happen to be appearing a way that somebody doesn't think they should appear. So it's problematic. It goes back to what you were saying earlier, Wesley. Uh, the legislature is not qualified to take up an issue like this. They're not qualified to take up a lot of issues they take up, though. So that's kind of like the theme of what happens at the Texas legislature. Exactly. And the last thing I'll say very quickly on this issue is just that, you know, we talk a lot about the facts because we need that in order to counter the misinformation that conservatives are spreading. But at the end of the day, we also need to bring it back to the humanity issue that's at stake in regards to this legislation. We know that sports bring value to childhood development. They let kids make friends, learn teamwork, um, learn cooperation. It's all. It also improves mental health and physical well-being. So at the end of the day, banning trans kids from athletics is also just cruel and it's unfair and it keeps trans youth specifically from participating in an essential part of childhood. And so what that does is it promotes the stigma that many trans kids already face and it could lead to other issues. It could put lives at stake because we know that suicide rates are higher within this community of folks. And so we need to bring this back to the humanity of this issue and realize that it's not just about... um, all of these other groups are allowing for trans kids to compete. Let's look at the science of it, which the science is important and then science is on our side as well. But also let's look at the effect that this is having on these kids. These are children that we're talking about. After the Progress Texas Happy Hour, be sure and pop over to progresstexas.org and check out all our great merch. Perfect for letting the world know that you're on the side of progress in Texas, too. Cool t-shirts and beautiful shades of blue. An awesome pride pack. Y'all means all. Buttons, stickers, can coolers, and more. Show your pride in progress at our web store at progresstexas.org. You know, what it, what it comes down to is that Republicans don't want to deal with the crises that they've created. You know, the COVID crisis, uh, the crisis of our energy Instead, they want to make up fake crises like the crisis, quote unquote, in sports. So they can, that, that, that's something they can like focus on. They don't have to actually do anything to fix it. They don't even care if it passes. They just want to distract us. Um, and, you know, speaking of crises or things that are going on that I don't know too much about, what is going on at the border, Diana? Sorry, that was a really bad segue, but. No, definitely. <laughs> um, I am, you know, honestly, um I don't know if excited is the right word, but it's, it's very important for us to talk about what's going on at the border. I actually used to work at the border as an unaccompanied uh, child migrant uh, specialist and going into detention centers to see if children were uh, qualifying for asylum or not. And it's one of the reasons I have this poster behind me that says immigration uh, reform now. But while I was down there, I saw many kids from a bunch of different countries, um, and Haiti as well, speaking different languages from from all over. And so I thought it was important to give a little bit of context into, you know, sort of what's going on and discuss it a little bit more, because I think a lot of folks are are confused. 
uh, and don't really know the role that uh, black immigrants play in our immigration system. And it's actually a really huge role that they play, especially Haitians. So Haitians have always been overrepresented in terms of immigrant arrests, detentions, and deportations. And this was the first time that we saw these images, specifically in Del Rio, Texas, that were horrifying with Border Patrol officers uh, whipping immigrants. And it's important that, that we talk about it, but um, Haitians have, have always, across the border, have always been, been immigrants. Um, but again, it was the first time we saw these images. Um, and they're overrepresented. Usually black immigrants are overrepresented in detention centers and in deportations, even when it comes to how much they have to pay for bond. Um, and something really important is that, you know, especially after last summer with the uprisings, after what happened to George Floyd, a lot of folks are talking about in the BLM movement about Black Lives Matter. It's really important to keep that drumbeat, especially when talking about black immigrants who are also black lives. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, to talk about that, you know, a little bit more um, after immigrants from Mexico, Haitians are the number two uh, immigrants that are usually denied in asylum cases at 86%. Can we add some context here as to like how Haitians ended up at the Mexican border? And I was, you know, I mean, it's, it's not entirely surprising how it happened, though I was somewhat surprised to learn about this journey. Uh, obviously, Haiti has had so many issues over the past decade, starting with the earthquake earthquake in 2010. Um, they had some political unrest in 2012, 2013. Their head of state, I don't know if they call it a president or a prime minister there, I think it was the president, was assassinated sometime earlier this year. And then they have just had economic issues. You have had a lot of migration out of Haiti because of all the issues that they've had, both civil, political, humanitarian, uh, environmental. And many of them ended up in Brazil for the Olympics in 2016. They had jobs, they went there, and then when the Olympic Games were over, the jobs were over too. <clears throat> South America wasn't exactly teeming with work. So you had a community of Haitians who have been moving through South America looking for work up into Central America and now up through Mexico to our border. A long journey, it's taken them like five years to get there. Not only has this just been a long, tough journey, but like fascinating when you think about the resilience and how much they're going through. But there was something else, and I want to hand it off to Wesley here, that he mentioned about immigration and things that Republicans always say about immigration and, and how this is relevant to this particular situation right here. Wesley, do you want to um, bring us up to speed on that? Yeah, so <clears throat> Republicans like to say, whenever talking about immigration, that they just want people to immigrate the right way. And while I'm a person who believes that there's not one specific right way to immigrate, we know for a fact that seeking asylum is a human rights, a human right. It is your right to go to another country, specifically in the United States. It's your right to seek asylum. And that is what these immigrants are trying to do. Um, last week, Abbott attempted to close six ports of entry on our border. Um, those ports of entry are where people are supposed to go to ask to seek asylum. And so basically what he's doing is he's trying to prevent the legal and quote unquote correct way that Republicans claim people should be seeking should be immigrating into the U.S. And he's trying to make it harder to do that. So yeah. my my 
want from them is for them to just choose a narrative <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Either people aren't doing it the right way or people are doing it the right way and maybe you're just making it more difficult for them to do it how they should be doing it. I think that's that's clearly what's happening here. Yeah. Um, and then the other question is, well, what, what do we do with them when they get here? Well, that's why we need a, an immigration system that works. We have a broken immigration system. We don't have enough ju- uh, judge magistrates down at the border. We don't have enough infrastructure. We don't have enough humanitarian infrastructure to handle this. And we are a nation of immigrants. We should absolutely be investing in that infrastructure. And so all of these things are connected. There's no one, as you saw with the Haitians leaving Haiti for South America, there was no one event that triggered it. It was a chain of events that triggered that. And the same thing with these crises that we're seeing at the border are all connected to an an immigration system that has not only failed those who are coming here, it is failing those of us who have grown up here and live here. It's failing on both sides. We have an obligation to fix it. I was just going to say, I also think that something you said about like, what do we do when they get here? I think this is another example of contrasting narratives because, you know, Republicans have been talking a lot about people don't want to go back to work. You know, we've been giving them too much during the pandemic and now nobody wants right. a job. So what is the truth? Is there are there too many job openings and not enough people <laughs> right. to take them? Because if that's the case, if that's the case, shouldn't you welcome these immigrants who are coming to our country seeking opportunity and seeking jobs that we apparently have to fill like i just it's it's choosing whatever narrative fits wesley what you want in the moment is what they do you're trying to inject logic into their thinking (laughs) that's not how they work come on that's that's a mistake i make way too often it's kind of like calling republicans it's kind of like calling voter fraud in a state that they keep winning exactly yeah (laughs) i think it's like you were saying wesley like choose a narrative and as we know it's always hypocrisy Um, but when it comes to what to do with immigrants for Abbott and the Republican Party it's always to use them as a scapegoat Um, somehow immigrants are responsible for ERCOT failing I'm sure and for you know whatever uh, voting you know them losing votes here in the state any problems that they have um, any terrible thing that comes out in the news as a result of all of the uh, polling that's showing that approval for Abbott is going down, he runs to the border. He, he, he just flies down there as soon as possible to have these press conferences with, you know, press that he's in, in inviting that are friendly to him um, to, to make it seem as if, you know, like Safik was mentioning earlier, that there's this fake crisis going on down there. Um, which there are so many solutions to. It's totally possible for us to offer humanitarian aid to folks seeking asylum as we've done in the past and is a part of um, our history in this country. And we've seen time and time again the impact of that anti-immigrant rhetoric from Texas Republicans, specifically most recently, you know, the shooting in El Paso. That was a direct result of this anti-immigrant rhetoric that Texas Republicans continue to spout. And in the um, shooter's manifesto, he specifically referenced certain parts of that rhetoric that we've seen from folks like Trump, from Abbott, from Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and Ken Paxton. And so it's it's not just something, you know, they don't think about it, but this is this puts lives at risk whenever they continue to spout that rhetoric. 
So, you know, I don't like ever saying a nice thing about Ted Cruz. But <laughs> there, there was something to what... When, when he left us in the cold to go to Cancun, mm-hmm. it wasn't the right thing for an elected official to do. But you know what? I'm okay with him leaving. And I think next time Abbott goes down to the border, too, like... You know, just keep going a little further. Leave us alone. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Don't, you know, don't bother us anymore, Abbott. Um, again, not praising Ted Cruz, just saying let's get rid of him, let's get rid of Abbott too. Um, Wesley, Actually, I think oh. Ted, Ted Cruz is a good point you bring up. Wasn't his dad seeking asylum to come to yes. America from Cuba? Yes. The same way that the Haitians are coming here. Interesting. Ed, you're making the same mistake what? you mentioned earlier. You're thinking <laughs> yeah, logic. logic. Right, logic. logic. I'm so sorry. Logic. What was I thinking? <laughs> I'm like, didn't Paul Ryan go to like a state school? And then he's like, let's cut the, the education budget? Like, there's no... It's just whatever's best for me with the Republicans. It's those East Coast elites, you know? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Such and terrible I- East Coast elites. I do want to make a final point that, you know, we know Republicans always use immigrants as as, as a scapegoat. And um, especially you know, in this last legislative session, as they've continued to, immigration is a federal issue. And they keep trying to pass laws to give themselves power um, and to, to take control of immigration to try to scapegoat them as, as much as possible. Um, but it's important to know for folks that, you know, immigration, that's a federal issue. And so it's really um, important for our federal government, for our, our country to stop these deportations, offer you know a, the proper path that, that exists for asylum and to help out these immigrants. Well, Wesley, Diana, Ed, thanks as always for lending your expertise. <clears throat> to everyone who's watching and listening, thanks for joining us. Head over to www.progresstexas.org to follow us on social media and subscribe to our email list. If you're listening to us on a podcast, subscribe to us on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Have an amazing weekend. We will see you. Actually, we'll see you in two weeks. We're we're not going to be here next week. We'll see you soon. Bye, y'all. Bye. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, with music by Walker Lukens. Please subscribe and share, and thanks so much for listening. See you again next week.